Welcome to IEQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. Yes, the rules have changed. Good day wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Today's broadcast is episode number 142 on Friday, October 16th, 2009. My name is Cliff Slotnicker, the Z-Man. Radio Joe Hughes is participating remotely from Studio C in Indian Lake, Pennsylvania. The always lovely environmental Annie Kowalecki is in the studio and will be operating the controls today under the tutelage of our wingman, Chris Boisel. Today's segments include the microband trivia question, an interview with our guest, Carl Grimes, an insurance interlude with Brian McFarland, and the roundup. Radio Joe and I, along with the wingman's help, have been working on the iaqradio.com website each week and we post the blog after the show and comments. We've also changed the invitation and news announcement from IQ Radio and IQ Training Institute, and we hope you like the new look and improved functionality. But first, we'd like to thank our sponsors. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dries Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dries is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at johndon.com. Legend Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right. To contact the show, just call 724-444-7444. Our show ID is 1547, or you can go online and check us out. You can also download the show from iTunes, or you can check us out at iaqradio.com. Don't forget we've got those uh, IICRC, Continuing Education Credits. We've got the... um, ACAC, formerly the IAQ Council, renewal credits, and we now have those ABIH certification maintenance points. We just uh, got that. We've been getting a lot more requests for those in here recently. You can get those by emailing me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. We also love hearing from you about any suggestions or comments at uh, my email or at cliffslotnick at unsmoke.com. And those emails are on the homepage of the IAQ Radio website. Let's move it back over to Cliff for the microband trivia question for this week. Thanks, Joe.
win a cool prize by outcompeting fellow IQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the microband trivia question. Submitting your answer is easy. Simply email it to cliffz at prorestoreproducts.com. Now for the microband trivia question for Friday, October 16th, 2009. We're looking for the uh, we're looking for a word. The mystery word is a drug, a food additive, or other chemical that interacts with another substance so that their combined effect, known as synergy, is more than the sum of their separate parts. What is that word? Back to you, Joe. Good one, good one, Cliff. Okay, today's guest is Mr. Carl Grimes. He's got some HHS initials and CIEC behind his name, and that's part of what we're going to talk about today. Carl is the president of Healthy Habitats, LLC. They're a private consulting company in Denver, Colorado. He's been providing indoor environmental quality consulting services for over 20 years now. Carl specializes in clients most others don't want because they are hypersensitive to low levels of exposure and sometimes with extreme reactivity. Mr. Grimes is the vice president of the Indoor Air Quality Association. He's the chair of the IAQA's Home Health Committee. He also serves on the board of the Indoor Environmental Standards Organization, is the past consensus body chair, and currently chairs the Procedural Development Committee. Carl also writes opinion columns for Indoor Environment Connections, serves on their editorial advisory board, and he's the author of Starting Points for a Healthy Habitat. Mr. Grimes is certified as a healthy home specialist through the National Environmental Health Association and a certified indoor environmental consultant through the American Certification Accreditation Council. He is also the member, a member of numerous industry associations and serves on I'm guessing more than a dozen different committees working on improving the lives of people. Welcome, Carl. Okay. Hello, Carl. Do we have you? Yeah, I'm here. That, <laughs> synergy. That's a good. Uh, that's a good tune to play here, uh, considering what we're going to talk about. Well, Carl, you know, we um, we decided to promote this show with the title "Emerging Emerging Industry Synergy." What's your future? And this was because of some conversations you and I had. Um, and I just want to kind of lay it out a little bit for the listeners. Our goal is to try and help the listeners understand how these different industry associations, government agencies, the medical community, and the building and construction world, like the building science people, the green building movement, the energy efficiency groups, they all seem to be converging to change the IEQ industry. And it seems to me, and I think to you as well, that these changes were going to have a profound effect on both indoor environmental quality, but also disaster restoration and the building science worlds. Do you have anything you'd like to uh, add to start with, Carl? No, I think that pretty well summarizes it. And um, I guess what I would, would point out here is that this is a broad range of 
organizations and agencies and and nonprofits and and uh, some private uh, companies and that sort of thing too. And it's I, I guess I would warn our listeners and and you and Cliff even and maybe your acronym policeman there or your acronym acronym army. There's a lot of different organizations and initials and if I get to uh, using too many abbreviations, just stop me, and uh, I'll help explain it and uh, explain how they're how they're related and what all this is leading up to. Great, great. Let me first. Uh, we kind of tried to divide this into segments, Carl. And for the listeners, I want to um, point out that it, it appears we've got um, four different segments. We've got the not-for-profit associations. We've got government agencies. We've got the medical community, and then we've got the construction, green building, building science kind of groups um, that seem to be merging together and working together to help do two things. One is connect buildings and people, which I know is a big you know, uh, concern of yours. But the other one that I, we want to touch on later is what they call the one-touch concept. Uh, so what we need to do is get some kind of standardized vocabulary, and then um, I know you're working on helping standardize methods for evaluating these things and, uh, you know, standards for doing this type of work through IESO, but uh, let's start with talking a little bit about the trends in government agencies, because I feel these are going to be a big um, player in the industry in the next, in the near future. Can you tell us a little bit about the um, the work going on between EPA, CDC, and HUD at this point in time. Uh, yeah, and I guess the first first statement I'd like to make is that this is not regulatory. It's not like the government is uh, <laughs> to borrow from the political rhetoric that's out there now on healthcare of the government getting between you and your doctor, or the insurance industry getting between you and your doctor. This isn't the case of the government getting between you and your house or you and your building. Uh, the EPA, CDC, and HUD uh, initiatives, uh, somewhat separate, but they, they all come to one focal point that I'll mention in a moment. It's, it's educational. It's advisory. It's guidance. It's uh, programs designed to have, for the benefit of uh, people that, you know, that can, that can um, use them. And it's not in any way law or regulation. The uh, focal point is best described by EPA, CDC, and HUD coming together a couple of years ago to form a, not an agency uh, but a, a group, for lack of a better term, called the National Center for Healthy Housing. Now, the three agencies uh, came together to form that, and it's funded in the National Center for Healthy Housing is funded by all three. And the, the tri-agency, as I'll call them, had a conference a year ago, uh, last month, as a matter of fact, in Baltimore, where they started presenting uh, the framework for healthy homes. And one of the key components of that that they talked about is what you just mentioned, connecting, or in this case, reconnecting buildings and people. It started with the uh, lead abatement programs, uh, what was uh, 10, 15 or so years ago. And the way it was described at that conference was it was so effective at reducing lead exposures and reducing disease from illness from that that 
they decided they would take that same template and apply it to other principles of healthy homes, not just lead. So to do that, they had to reconnect people in buildings because the lead program inadvertently disconnected people from buildings. It was just lead, measure lead, get the lead out, and it was assumed that it was helping people. They didn't pay attention to any much anything else. So they wanted to reconnect then buildings and people. What's the effect on the indoor environment on people? And that led then to the concept that they call the one-touch concept, which is whoever goes in, whether it's for lead or uh, allergies or asthma or public health or whatever, they should be able to look, be trained to look at the totality of a healthy home and not just look at the one focal point and ignore all the rest. Well, do you know what actually caused um, these groups to look at the next step? I mean, was there some uh, event or some uh, revelation or was it a political change? I mean, I think this occurred even before the administration, the new administration, if I'm not correct. Am I correct there? Uh, yes, it did. And it was... Um, and, and somebody from NCHH, National Center for Healthy Housing, would could answer that question better than I can. But if I remember correctly, it was about 1997 that this was created. My own personal experience with attending conferences and meetings and uh, workshops and so forth is that I noticed starting even before the election last year that there was kind of a uh, uh, an intensity, a palpable uh, energy that started building that really came to fruition uh, this year after the new administration. And it was like all this pent-up energy of all the people in public health that wanted to help people. And they kind of, my own interpretation is that they were finally, it was like the floodgates were opened and the energy, the enthusiasm, the conversation about it, the initiatives, can just kind of burst out. And there's a whole number of things that we'll get into here uh, in a little bit, or some of the specifics. So what really caused it? Uh, I really don't know, but what we, what we were all told was that the lead abatement program was so effective that they wanted to extend it to other realms and do more about healthy homes. And they realized that there was more to healthy homes than just a lead-free home. Okay. Cliff, do you want to Sure, sure. I, I do. What sort of training initiatives, Carl, do, you know, does this new organization have? Um, how are they getting the news of their good work to the public? Um, how are they handling that? It's, it's quite impressive, really, and if, if the listeners want to go to the uh, National Center for Healthy Homes website, it's just www.nchh.org. That's nchh.org, and they can spend weeks there. There's a lot of information. Go to the training section, though. And you'll learn about that they have a training programs in a number of disciplines, including they were just accredited by EPA for professionals uh, uh, to teach professionals on uh, uh, lead abatement and uh, so forth. 
the, the one of particular interest here is called the Healthy Home Practitioner. It's the Essentials for the Healthy Home Practitioner. And it is taught by a number of training providers across the country. There's over 30 of them. A lot of them are through university, some are through public health, and there are some uh, national organizations that are interested in becoming training providers also, including the one that I'm most connected with, the Indoor Air Quality Association. And the, the Healthy Home Practitioner is a very broad course much broader than anything that, like, certified industrial hygienists receive, certainly any broader than the indoor environmental consultant certification and training that, that I have. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't go into as much depth as what, like, Joe and I and others have or what the, the type of classes that Joe teaches, but it is very broad and it's very, very well integrated. And um, I, I, I was on a... Uh, conference call yesterday with the, the director of training for NCHH uh, with his training providers. And it really blew me away on who's out there, how they're connected with different government agencies, nonprofits, uh, some private organizations, and the kind of people that they're teaching even. Well, Carl, when you say this is broader, okay, you know, we um... – we both hold this certified indoor environmental consultant um, certification, and and I that's more geared toward indoor environmental quality issues. And I'm curious, can you explain to the listeners how it's broader than indoor environmental quality? Yeah, a lot of all the training that we have with our CIEC and uh, some of the others certified indoor environmental consultants and some of the others like certified microbial remediator, uh, uh, microbial inspector and supervisor and so forth, um, it has to do with uh, there's moisture, mold, of course, uh, uh, forced air systems, and uh, it, 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 it's, it's the systems of inside a building. They don't really talk about people and what the effect is, it's almost like the assumption is that, well, of course there's people there, but if we meet these specifications for buildings and building systems, then the people will be okay. Well, we know that that's not true now because starting back 20 years ago when they started talking about sick building syndrome uh, and then modifications to that and the, now the number of people who, are, who don't feel well indoors, they have allergy uh, reactions, asthma attacks, uh, and all kinds of other what traditionalists call controversial type reactions, and we don't have the good medicine or scientific description of them yet. It's uh, uh, buildings do affect people, and some of them do it in a negative way. So that's the main one: is that we don't have really anything about people and and how to deal with people even. The, uh, the Healthy Home Practitioner course, um, it's based on seven, seven principles, but even before the seven principles, there's two foundational um, concepts. Yeah, and what are they? It, well, it's, it starts with people. The very first thing they teach in this course is people. This is for the benefit of people. The next one, then, the cornerstone, is the house as a system. It's not just 
plumbing and electrical and ventilation and uh, a kitchen and bathrooms and and uh, the condo or what. A building is an integrated system of all these systems, kind of like a meta system. And if you alter or affect or change one, it affects all the others. And, oh, by the way, one of the components of that system is people. So if you affect the people, you affect the building. If you change the building, you're going to affect the people. So that, that also is starting with people. The house is the system. People are part of the system. And then they go into seven principles. All right. And you, want to if, go, you want to run down those real quick for us? The, the seven principles. Just uh, we're obviously not going to have time to go into detail on each one, but maybe I could pick one out, and Cliff could pick one out, and you could tell us a little more about two of them. Well, it, it's it, they, because there's seven of them. They are actually more complex than it sounds. But the seven are very simply: keep it dry, keep it clean, keep it pest-free. And then you need to keep it ventilated also. We're looking at, you know, weatherizing houses to save energy. But we want to have some fresh air in here. We've got to figure out a way to keep it ventilated. Keep it safe. And that's uh, water temperature uh, coming out of the hot water heater with children, electrical safety, uh, carbon monoxide uh, detectors, fire detectors, and so forth. Keep it contaminant-free. This is rather broad, but this is where it gets into the chemical exposure side of things. And then keep it maintained, which is rather interesting because there's a, uh, uh, there's a international uh, property maintenance code out there that a number of states and municipalities have adopted uh, straight out or with modifications that actually give code enforcement authority for like land, against landlords uh, whether it's uh, absentee landlords or low-income housing or whatever, this is something that is starting to make a big, uh, big difference. But uh, pick a couple of the others and let's see where it goes. Okay, Cliff. Um, yeah, do you, I'm interested in what they focused in on on keep it contaminant-free. Like, what does the group consider to be a contaminant? Uh, what they can it has to do with a lot of uh, chemicals, and this isn't just the you know hazardous waste kinds of things. It's right down to uh, chemicals in cleaning products, in particular, um, even personal care products. Uh, it kind of overlaps with the keep it pest free, and that they don't want you bringing in a lot of chemicals to get rid of pests and kill them and so forth. There's the integrated pest management that they, that they uh, strongly focus on. But they're looking at paints. They're looking at uh, household uh, products, uh, plug-in deodorizers, and um, things like that that can, that can affect people. And this is where it kind of branches out, if I can just briefly go down that tangent, to not just buildings and people, but another, another uh, force in here, which is medica- medicine and medical associations, particularly with asthma. Uh, there's the National um, Asthma Guidelines. It was uh, created by the um, Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute. They've been out uh, right at two years now. And a required element of those asthma guidelines is a home assessment. And when you look at asthma, it now moves it into the area of 
away, uh, moves it away from public health criteria, which is what is the most common to a large group of people, to what is perhaps the least common, because it might affect only that individual, but it triggers off a severe allergy attack or creates a life-threatening uh, uh, asthma attack. And it's not what is most common, but what it is rarely possible. It may not occur very often. It may not occur with anybody but that one person. But if that's what causes these severe medical uh, conditions, that's what's important. So it's with that in mind that they look at these low-level, very common types of uh, cleaning products and uh, cleanliness of the house, which is more of a public health criteria than an industrial hygiene criteria. What, what about an environmental tobacco smoke? Is that included in there, Carl? Absolutely. That's one of the big ones because that's where the science and the medicine is very strong that it, um, it, it, it's one of the least controversial tra triggers uh, for um, asthma, uh, wheezing, tightness, uh, and uh, uh, full-blown asthma attack. You know, Car Carl, now that you have, how long have you personally had this designation? I took the training just over a year ago, and uh, I took the exam, which uh, uh, resulted in the Healthy Home Practitioner um, certification. And it's, by the way, the, the training is through the National Center for Healthy Housing, but the exam is created by the National Environmental Health Association, and they happen to be located, their headquarters right here in Denver where I live. And they are the ones that independently uh, accredit that. Okay. Then there's a follow-on exam, which is a visual assessment. Uh, uh, you download the, the photographs and the questions and so forth, and you have to visually identify certain hazards in various parts of the house and provisions of the uh, International Property Maintenance Code, which was quite an experience for me because I have no... I hadn't been exposed to code identification and enforcement before, so that was a little bit of a struggle for me. But upon the completion of that, then I received the Healthy Home Specialist, the HHS after my name, the Healthy Home Specialist uh, uh, designation, also accredited through the uh, NEHA, the National Environmental Health Association. What have you done with this, Carl, now that you have it? Um, how have you used it to benefit your clients? When I do my private consulting, and uh, that's a really good question because it, it kind of leads into, you know, some of the implications of all this for our industry as professionals and for people that are, uh, you know, in the general public that have uh, some of these needs. It, it's helped to broaden what I look for. I, on my consulting, it's always been very broad anyway. I won't go into my history because I've done that on a previous program here. But I've always focused on the people that, uh, like the experience I had nearly 30 years ago now, reacting to who knows what. I can't figure it out. It's a combination of things. I just, I'm just sick all the time. I don't feel well. What's going on? So I've always specialized in those, and this really helped me to understand that, there are, that even with my broad knowledge and experience of over 20 years uh, professionally, there was a lot that I didn't know. And it helped bring it together to help coordinate it so I could provide better private consulting services and recommendations to my clients. 
for personally, what it's done is it's helped me to, well, actually, it's provided a defined structure and framework. I mentioned before the framework for healthy homes that the conference uh, was focused on. It's helped me to prevent, uh, present a framework to professional organizations and nonprofits, not just the Indoor Air Quality Association, but others such as Restoration Industry Association, uh, uh, Indoor Environmental Standards Organization, and some others. So it's, it's, really, it's really enhanced what I've been aware of and been pushing for over 20 years. Do you want to go to halftime? Yeah, I was thinking about that, um, and I think what we're going to do is um, we're going to we can bring in Dr. Dieter for comment. Uh, we have him, and then we'll go over to Brian. Very good. Okay. But if it's Beethoven, that must be my cue. It's That's your cue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have a couple of comments. Um, and I, I I think we are putting the, uh, the, 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 the horse behind the car uh, or the cart over here. Now we have another, a health, a healthy home practitioner. Maybe I should uh, start a club the unhealthy home practitioner, which makes more sense to my engineering thinking. <laughs> okay. If a healthy home, you don't need a practitioner, right? <laughs> um, but um, now we have yeah, 20 or more certifications of this and that and the other to take care of, quote, unhealthy homes. I think we ought to start with architects and train those. Not the, I mean... It's fine with me. I make money with it, uh, 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 looking at unhealthy situations, uh, which is yeah, was screwed up by somebody up front from me, and I don't, yeah, I don't care. But um, apparently, we are building a hell of a lot of uh, unhealthy buildings in this country, and I think to me that tells me that there's something incredibly wrong out there. And I agree with Carl. There are a hell of a lot of things which I do not know at this stage of the game, and that will go until I die. Um, you always can learn something, but now is the healthy home practitioner uh, better than a CIH? Is he better than a mold inspector? Is he uh, better than a, a hazard assessment guy? And you know the names. I don't know them all. I haven't written them down. But there got to be 20 of them. And uh, we all know the good old home inspector with the flashlights, and he looks around for termites and, and stuff like that. But um, <clears throat> like I said, I, I, I think we are, we are on the wrong end of the game. We ought to go to the front end. And I said, hey, look, fellows, you guys screwed up. <laughs> but there you know, <laughs> there's up. We're going to talk about that in the second half. I think Carl will be uh, Carl will be uh, giving us some information on how EPA, CDC, and HUD are trying to tackle that problem as well. Okay. Yeah, don't tell me that I have a flat tire. Tell me how I can prevent you have a flat tire. <laughs> okay. Don't drive. <laughs> okay. Good idea. Don't build homes. That's right. I guess we're going to go over to uh, – let's go to Brian's intro music. 
Okay, Brian McFarland from Legends and. Hey guys, how you doing today? Good, great, Brian. Good to have you. Yeah, it's been a little while. Hope everybody had a great summer. Yeah. Very good. What's good? What's been in the insurance uh, world? Uh, well, you know what we're looking at is uh, what I wanted to talk about today was really how the changing industry, which is what we're talking about today, continues to evolve. Uh, but how regulation is really starting to drive insurance requirements. Uh, and to understand that, you got to look at the environmental insurance and, and how that's been driven in the past. Uh, for instance, let's say with asbestos. Uh, some states have a requirement that uh, to perform asbestos work or to be an asbestos contractor, you have to carry insurance, and some states don't. But just about all work that is referred out from a contractor or a state or an insurance company will require that uh, coverage for asbestos be in place. And we're, we're seeing that uh, starting to develop along that same path, uh, specifically with mold, uh, as states start to pass regulation associated with that. Uh, a good example of that is the current uh, uh, Maryland bill. Uh, if you've read that, uh, it's gone through many editions and continues to uh, be updated. Uh, originally, that bill said that the uh, the contractor that is performing mold remediation would have to carry insurance. And then uh, it was pointed out to them aggressively by the uh, several insurance carriers that having insurance, having general liability insurance, doesn't cover any of the work. So the bill now says that they have to have insurance that covers mold remediation or microbial assessment. Uh, and that's certainly going to change the industry within Maryland as those uh, what we would call or we often refer to as fly-by-night guys uh, that, that haven't pursued insurance uh, to protect the consumer, uh, you know, will likely be out of business because they, they can't afford it or won't be able to get it. Uh, and, we're, and we're seeing that in other states as well. Uh, Florida is moving in that direction, Arkansas certainly. Uh, we talked earlier that Virginia currently doesn't have that, but that, that will likely change as the intent of the programs out there that are being developed. The intent is to protect or, or for consumer protection, to protect the consumer. Uh, as Carl pointed out earlier, that should be our, our, the first goal of any of these uh, legislative efforts. And uh, certainly insurance uh, is going to be a large part of, you know, protecting the consumer. And uh, we see that moving forward as states start to adopt more and more regulation within the indoor air quality industry, that insurance will be a mandated part of that. All right. All right. Brian, thank you for joining us. And uh, if you can stick around for the roundup, we'll bring you back on. That sounds good. Thank you. All right, buddy. Take care. Okay, Joe, back to you. All right, let's get uh, Carl Grimes back on the line here. Carl, we um, you know we talked a little bit about the National Center for Healthy Homes and how they were kind of uh, you know they work real closely with government agencies. They're funded by government agencies, etc. And uh, then there were some questions that came out at uh, halftime here. And uh, what I'd like to do is kind of move on to the. The players are in the uh, building science and the green movement and uh, how 
you see the program uh, synergy that seems to be occurring with um, some government uh, push from the, from the government. How do you see that maybe helping with people um, building these things a little better in the first place? Yeah, and that goes directly to what uh, Dieter was just saying. You know, we got to get to the front end here, and so we don't build unhealthy houses to begin with. Uh, but at the same time, we have to look at, as he used the analogy of the flat tire, we got a lot of flat tires out there. And if you just put on another flat tire, um, you're going to have a problem. If you put on an inappropriate tire, the wrong size, the wrong type, or whatever, you're, still going to, you're not going to solve a problem. You're going to replace one problem with another. And it's easy to look first at, uh, at the rough road or the unpaved road and say, well, that's what caused it, but it might be something more subtle like the nail in the road. Uh, only one person's going to hit that one nail. Uh, that, didn't mean it, uh, that doesn't mean it didn't happen, and it doesn't mean it wasn't a hazard that other people have to watch out for, and that's where the, uh, the, the rare possibilities comes in. Uh, <laughs> once the nail hits the tire, you got a flat tire, and it doesn't make any difference what the statistics say about how many nails there are in the road and what the chances are that it can happen. It happened to that person, and something needs to be done about it. So getting back now to a little, a little more specific, a lot of the building, uh, uh, the building science uh, is moving in the direction of people. It's not quite there yet. Uh, architects aren't. Uh, builders of houses, most of them aren't, although there's a few that are starting to realize it, particularly through advanced uh, energy uh, and their programs. Uh, the LEED certifications for houses, uh, they have an indoor air quality component, that's through, through the U.S. Uh, Green Building Council. They have an indoor air quality component, but it's, in my opinion, fairly weak. It's all on a point system. You have to have a certain number of points in each of the categories, including indoor air quality, but there's not that many that's required for it, and uh, it, 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 it's, it's not there uh, yet. Energy Star, uh, th uh, through the EPA, is really moving strongly in the direction of increasing the role of indoor air quality. And if you go to energystar.gov, I believe it is, or EPA, I, I don't think you have to go through the EPA site, just energystar.gov, and uh, you can get uh, complete information on the uh, Energy Star for, uh, for houses. They've got a lot of detail in there that, that uh helps push it more toward the direction of the, uh, the healthy home. Uh, they've got the ResNet, which is an organization for uh, checking the energy efficiency of houses. And while that's another part of the whole dynamic system of buildings, how leaky is the house or how tight is the house and that sort of thing, uh, there's, a lot that, there's a lot to be uh, desired there also because it's not being integrated. Before I go on to the next statement, I want to go back to, to Dieter's uh, comment about all the certifications, and there's now over 20 or 30 or however many you want to count, okay. and which one is better than another. This comes directly to that point. They are all important because they all have a component of the total system of houses as systems and people as part of the system, and buildings as part of the people system. 
And what we desperately, desperately need is something to integrate all these disciplines so that when we affect one, we don't inadvertently cause a bigger problem in another. And that's what I, that's, that's where the, uh, what I see is the promise of the healthy home practitioner and the programs that the National Center for Healthy Housing uh, is putting in place. Carl, I, I, I don't, I got a question for you, and and this is something that um, I, I guess naturally is going to come to mind. We send these healthy home practitioners out. They inspect the home. They end up having this extensive laundry list of all these things that need to be done. Uh, the windows are leaking. The furnace is inefficient. Um, you know, the roof is bad. The gutters and and, and so on and so forth. And this is a Section Eight home where, uh, you know, the people that are living there don't own it. Um, what are we going to do with this laundry list of stuff? I mean, how's it going to make the, the, the life better for the people that are living in the home? Unless there's some sort of government low interest loan program for the owner of that house to take this information and utilize it to benefit the people that are doing there, you're just going to have a bunch of people running around with laundry lists. Uh, well, you're hitting on two key points here, and one of it is uh, actually three key points. One is what do we do with the laundry list? We have to do something with it. And in my opinion, now this is me speaking from my expertise and not from any of the nonprofits, government agencies, or, or whatever. We, there has to be developed a system of, of uh, priority. You've got 15 things in the house that need to be changed or improved, but what's the most important one? We don't want to waste our time on the one that may be uh, insignificant, like the floors maybe aren't quite clean enough, but we do have to focus on the fact that there's exposed electrical wiring uh, there. We've got a, an old gas stove with no ventilation uh, to the outside, or there's a, a gas furnace that doesn't have makeup air, or the uh, exhaust flue is um, tilted sideways, so it, a lot of the exhaust fumes escape into the house. Uh, what they, I'm not really seen anything in these initiatives yet to focus on how we prioritize. There's the the other point then is who is um, money to do it, particularly in low income housing. Um, one of the things that you can learn from the National Center for Healthy Housing on their website is that all the course materials for healthy home practitioner are. Uh, in a PDF, and they're free, they're available, it's paid for by taxpayer money, so it's not really free. We paid for it with our taxes, but there's no additional cost. You can download that whole course um, and, and see, what's, uh, see, what, see what they have in there. Uh, another part of it is you're talking about low-income and Section 8 housing. There's a lot of stimulus money out there for weatherization, uh, low-income housing, and not no longer just lead paint, but a lot of the other initiatives kind of focused on uh, the weatherization uh, uh, initiative. And this is where the one-touch concept is important. As those weatherization people and lead abatement contractors go in there, they ought to be looking at all the other elements of the of a healthy house. Now, the next part is when it's beyond the capability of the homeowner, tenant, occupant, or whatever, who's going to do that? That's another weakness of the program that I see that I'm uh, really pushing with, a, I know, an association that uh, you, you appreciate, uh, Cliff, which is the Restoration Industry Association, RIA. 
I would like to see them come on board and start developing programs on how do you go in and clean, uh, uh, you know, the cleaning part of it. How do you go in and clean? How do you remove cockroach uh, frass? How do you remove, uh, uh, we know pretty much how to remove mold. Uh, we got to get into the moisture issues, which is more than just mold. It's bacteria that increases insect populations. How do we go in and remove um, a long-term VOC contamination from perfume candles, uh, plug-in deodorizers, um, uh, paints, and they're solvent-based. What about soot from fires, Carl? Oh, man, that's a big one. In fact, uh, at a recent event that you and I were both at, there's uh, 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 Paul Francisco out of the University of Illinois uh, he and his uh, colleague, and I can't, his name escapes me right now, they just completed a big study on open flame combustion in homes. Now, this isn't just soot from low income where they burn twigs, you know, in the middle of the house or in a wood stove or something like that. This is gas combustion, uh, open flame in houses like gas stoves and ovens, uh, hot water heaters and furnaces. And they've just done a, a study on the impact of the combustion products on homes. This is a big one. I thank you for bringing that up. That, this is a, not only a big one, uh, more common than people realize, and it's one of these that, oh, well, yeah, I've got a gas stove. We've had gas stoves for years. It can't be a problem, so they don't pay any attention to it. It's, it's, it's one of those issues that's going to become uh, bigger over the next couple of years, particularly with the research that Paul has done. Now, Carl, I want to tie one more. You know, we've got we we've talked about the uh, three of the four areas here that we talked about. We talked about not-for-profit associations, uh, government agencies, and the green movement, the building science, the architects, etc. How can the medical community help with the issue that Cliff brought up? I mean, obviously, the medical community can help us um, diagnose people's illnesses, etc. But um, how can they help, or do you see any way the medical community or health insurance or anything else could possibly help with, you know, actually taking that laundry list, picking the first two or three, and helping to get those fixed? Uh, that's that's one of the keys. It's not. It's less well integrated into the whole initiative. But they're kind of in a parallel effort with overlap that a few people are aware of. For example, someone that you and I both know very well, Kevin Kennedy, out of the Children's Mercy Hospital in Kansas City. Uh, he's not only involved in IAQA and the, uh, the Home Health Committee, uh, which I chair, which is working on a, an advanced level uh, to the Healthy Home Practitioner course, but uh, he's also involved with the uh, American Academy of uh, Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. Now, this is one of the most conservative allergy, asthma, or uh, medical associations, organizations out there. But they have created a uh, joint task force, a national task force of physicians and building scientists and consultants Kevin Kennedy is a co-chair of that, along with uh, Jim Sublette, who's an, uh, a medical doctor, an uh, asthma specialist out of uh, uh, Louisville, Kentucky. They're the co-chairs of this. And the purpose is using the 
National asthma guidelines that I mentioned earlier that has a required element as a home assessment, they're working on a practice parameter for physicians on when to prescribe a home assessment. And then Kevin and myself and the others, the building scientist side, are looking at what will that home assessment consist of. Now, because Kevin is also one of the... um, uh, certified trainers for National Center for Healthy Housing on their Healthy Home Practitioner course uh, and other connections in there, informal-type connections, this is providing a, a convenient framework for how the medical association and medical doctors are going to approach this. The, the other part of it is they know now. They don't need more science and more medicine to know we need to act. They don't have all the A causes B but not C kind of information, but they don't need it. They know you have to have a clean home. They, they know that you have to have these seven principles of a healthy home, and you reduce the incidence of allergy and asthma reactions and asthma attacks. So they're moving forward with that. And because asthma is so individualized, they are no longer saying, well, we need, yeah, we need peer-reviewed double-blind control studies, but... We can't limit it to just what's most common with the general population. We also need information, and we need information from the home on that, as J. David Miller calls it, the the rare possibility. What is that one thing that maybe this is the only person in the world that is affected by it, but that's what has to be identified and stopped, so we stop their asthma attacks, we stop their allergies. We stop central nervous system things. And, and David Miller is really pushing beyond just allergy and asthma. We're looking at non-allergic responses, non-asthma. We're looking at the other kinds of things. It really doesn't make it a difference what it is or how it is. If the person is sick when they go in the building and they get better when they leave, that's important information. And the ones that get sick from exposure and leave, they get better, but they still don't get well, that's where the next big challenge is. So are you saying that maybe we'll see a day when uh, there's a prescription and the health insurance company will pay for the health assessment and maybe even for some type of remediation? Uh, except for the remediation part, yes. Uh, in fact, uh, Kevin Kennedy and uh, his boss, Dr. Jay Portnoy, at Children's Mercy in Kansas City, are, they have a HUD grant now, and they're working with, developing the basis for, with a couple of insurance providers, medical insurance providers, to pay for home assessments. Uh, Western uh, Michigan, it's the uh, EPA's, I believe it's the CARE program, C-A-R-E, and I can't tell you what that acronym stands for. They, uh, Provident Insurance came on three years ago, and they now have two other insurance providers in Western Michigan that are paying for home assessments. So it's it's something developing. My own insurance broker said, when you get the more of this information developed, he said, let me know because and all the, he's a broker for a number of agencies. He says, what they're telling me is if you find anything that has to do with prevention, let us know because that's really the only way we can control our, our risk and control our costs now. So it's, it's starting. There's some concrete movement there. It's not there yet, but, you know, there's, there's more than – there's more than light at the end of the tunnel. It started all these things coming together, and that's the point I want to make. None of it is complete in itself. 
coming together, is starting to get there. There's the medical and MCHH in particular are creating the focal points, and we just got a lot of work ahead of us from different points of view to push this forward and to get it done and get it done right. Uh, Cliff, do you want to go to Roundup, or do you have another question? I've got one more question, actually, before we go to Roundup. Carl, um, what input have industry guidelines and standards played in this uh, new healthy home practitioner program? I mean, did they reference existing industry documents um, in doing it? I, this is what I love about you, Cliff. You get to the nuts and the bolts and the, and the core issues. Um, no, they really don't know about us. And this is what I've started telling various organizations when I do presentations. When I run through my presentation, and uh, by the way, I've got a handout. It's a one page of resources here, and we're trying to figure out a way that, to make that available to listeners now live and when they download it later of uh, this and more than what I've, I've mentioned. And when I, did, when I presented to people in our industry, I said, how many of you have ever heard of any of this? Nobody raises their hand in those in public health and already working at, you know, at CDC or NCHH or HUD or places like that. And here's what I tell them. I said, you know what? Uh, you've never heard of them but when I go to their conferences and I'm on their conference calls and talk to them, guess what? They've never heard of you. <laughs> so we've got like the European voltage and their 220 plugs and, you know, 50 hertz electricity out there. But in the U.S., we've got 110 and a different type of plug and it's 60 hertz power, uh, frequency on the How do you get the equipment to work together? We need an adapter plug <laughs> to plug those two together. It's starting starting to hear about who we are and what we what we have to offer but uh, we are behind them in a sense because a lot of our industry doesn't know anything about these organizations and what they're doing we're too focused on surviving in this business climate we've got to have billable hours and we don't have time to stop and learn something new and do something different that we don't fully understand so it's a long road ahead. I don't know how to answer your question about, you know, long-term implications, Cliff, but you got right to the heart of it here. And this is, this is part of my, I guess, personal mission is to educate these government non agencies and the nonprofits and the industry associations and get some of this included in standards even. I'm glad I got you riled up, Carl. <laughs> uh, <laughs> before we go the roundup, what we'd like to do is we'd like to thank our sponsors and our advertisers. We're delighted to have as our first association sponsor the Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit multidisciplinary group dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions. They have advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Pro Restore for cleaning, odor removal, and antimicrobial products. Remediators trust and depend on. Visit them at prorestoreproducts.com. And, of course, our primary sponsors. 
Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dry's Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dry's first in drying solutions. Learn about them at dri-eaz.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. Okay, I think we'll go with Brian and then uh, Dieter, then Joe, and I'll finish up. Brian's gone? Okay. Then I guess we'll go with Dieter. Yeah. Well, I don't have much uh, uh, or many comments on it. I, I, I think we are on the right track to identify the problems. And uh, what I'm even more uh, um, interested in is to uh, remedy it. Uh, you know, how do... How do we take care of a sick house and uh, what are the, 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 the first steps you have to take and, um, uh, and, and, and take it from there? I mean, I have, I have no problem with that at all. And you know what, Carl, I agree with, with Carl 100%. He has no problem there at all. And we got, we got to go in there. We got to identify and uh, see whether we can remedy it. Uh, I think there are probably a couple of homes where the best uh, way of uh, uh, getting rid of the problem is take a yellow machine, make three passes, <laughs> and start from scratch again. Um, but um, you know, I, I, I think it, it appears to me, and uh, I didn't look at any of the statistics, but it appears to me that there are quite a few buildings in this country and all over the world, uh, which which could perform better than they do. Okay, Joe. Oh, uh, yeah, Carl. I'm just curious. Um, what do you recommend for our listeners to help them get more up to date on these issues and to keep track of uh, what's going on and and where this industry is headed, where the synergy is going to take us? Um. There's a couple of things. Uh, uh, first, if I could just very quickly address Dieter's um, point. A lot of buildings, National Center for Healthy Housing released a study last week. It said 67% of the houses in this country right now have at least one physical problem with it. This is not including the people side of health complaints or illness, disease, or safety issues. It's just physical and it's based on a very comprehensive uh, survey that's been going on for a number of years that you can get from the nchh.org, National Center for Healthy Housing, from their website. It'll take a little bit of searching uh, to get to it. Uh, what I suggest is 
that people start with nchh.org, uh, search some of the epa.gov websites, cdc.gov. Uh, um, they can actually get a healthy housing reference manual, and if they go to cdc.gov slash NCEH, that's National Center for Environmental Health, NCEH slash publications, they can find the house, Healthy Housing Reference Manual. It's 380-some pages, and it's got all this information in there. Uh, do the Google searches, and there's even a, a search in general's call to action for healthy homes uh, that has uh, 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 played a big role in this. And is there, Joe and Cliff, is there some way that we can get this um, uh sheet of uh, one page of resources uh, uh, to people they could either uh, email me or email you and we can forward it or if is there a website somewhere yep. that we could post it's a PDF file and uh, people could get that and that's going to direct them in all these different directions yes no I will have that on IAQ radio in fact I've been uh, <laughs> uh, sending people to the resources button at IAQ Radio. It's not up yet, folks, but we'll have that up Monday at the latest. I'll try and get it up this afternoon. Carl's got a great list of resources to add to our already pretty decent list of resources. Um, it's right below the Gray Wolf logo on the right-hand side of the IAQRadio.com website. And I owe, by the way, listeners, one document from last week that um, Wayne Baker sent to me. But I had a little trouble getting a PDF up there, and uh, we're going to work on that real soon. Right. Carl, my question uh, really is I'm asking you to opine uh, on this. Would you say that the, uh, this program, the, uh, this, uh, I guess the NCAH program, would you say that they demonstrated the importance of and need for third-party accreditation by having another group certify the program rather than doing it themselves? Um, that's another interesting question, and, well, I know we're over the hour limit, but uh, I'll, we could do a whole show on accreditations and third-party, et cetera, but... And we may. <laughs> I, I think so. And the, the people at... National Center for Healthy Housing is, I get to know Tom Neltner, the director of training, and Rebecca Morley, the executive director, and I've met David Jacobs, who is the research director. These are really smart people that care a lot and are moving in the direction, the best direction that they can, as uh, quickly as they can, and uh, you'd have to ask them to be sure, but I'm glad that they did it, and I think it's going to become more and more important that third-party accreditation of, of a process uh, for certifying people, the knowledge base, taking the exams, because there's just too many places out there that they sell a product and now you're certi certified. There was a lab in there a couple of three years ago that if you sent them a lab sample, they would certify you and send you a free T-shirt even. <laughs> and I even thought t-shirt without even sending them a lab sample. Uh, so there's all kinds of organizations that are selling their, their services and products and their standards are oriented toriented toward the product and standard. It's, or, it's a marketing device. 
We need more of the independent third-party accreditation so that you know that uh, it's not self-serving, that it's science-based, it's evidence-based, and uh, it's more than just somebody looking to, to, to make money. I have nothing against people making money, okay? But if you want to rely on the public trust, then you have to, you have to create the public trust. It's got to be legitimate, and you've got to follow through on it. And third-party accreditation is a way to do that. Okay, Carl. We always like to give uh, the guest uh, the last word, so I'm going to ask you two questions. First, is there anything that uh, you'd like them to, to make, one final point? And second, I'd like you to let our guests know how they can uh, – I'm sorry, let our listeners know how they can contact you for more information. Uh, let me do the last one first. Uh, the email is the best, and it's my last name, Grimes, G-R-I-M-E-S, at Habitats.com, and that's H-A-B-I-T-A-T-S.com. So it's Grimes at Habitats.com. Uh, you'll hit my spam filter. You can go ahead and authorize yourself or just wait. I check it several times a day, and I'll authorize you through if you have a request that uh, I can send you, particularly this resource page or uh, uh, other information. The last word I would say, uh, uh, two things, hope and patience particularly for people that are impacted by unhealthy houses. So thank you, Dieter, for making that distinction. The victims of unhealthy houses, they aren't getting help they need. They're not even getting recognition. They're still considered psychosomatic and crazy and hypochondriacs and this sort of thing just because somebody it's not a shared experience with, with enough people. Uh, there's hope that it's going to be slow coming, there's a lot of work by a lot of organizations, government agencies, medical associations, and nonprofits, but it's starting. So there is hope, but you've got to be patient. And then the third one would be perseverance. You have to keep pushing. Don't sit back and just say, well, you know, there's not enough time for me. Uh, you know, talk to people, talk to your congressmen, your senators, talk to organizations. Get involved in some way. You know, some of the best research for studies that I uh, find out there is from people that are sick and disabled, and they have a lot of time that they can search the Internet, and they get on, on mailing lists from organizations, including some that we've talked about today, and they post this quicker than the professional organizations do. It's absolutely amazing. Now, they aren't able to qualify it like we do, but it's there, and there's a lot of good stuff. So uh, hope patience, perseverance, and that applies to people in our industry and professionals in the government and the uh, medical associations. Keep, keep pushing this. We need the integrated system. We need the integrated understanding so we can help more people, including those rare possibilities, as uh, J. David Miller calls them. Okay. Well, thanks to this week's guest, Carl Grimes, Brian McFarland. Next week, we have the author of Microbe, Are We Ready for the Next Plague, Dr. Ellen Zelikoff, MD, to discuss the H1N1 virus. Before we go, I want to thank my co-host, Joe Hughes, environmental Ann Kowalecki, the wingman, Chris Boisel, and our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Weil. Most importantly, you, our growing group of loyal listeners. Please come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IEQ Radio.
this has been another IAQ Radio production.